Hi guys, one quick note before we dive into the episode. This is our body episode all about puberty. Mom and dad, do not listen. At least mine. Thanks. Hello and welcome to Required Reading, the podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm your host, Erin Bowles. I am an actor, writer, and trinket maven. Our guest today is Amanda Yuen. She is an artist, educator, recovering child actor, and rescue dog MILF based somewhere in the mid-Atlantic, usually. Hi, Amanda. Hi, thank you for having me. This is so exciting. A little backstory. Amanda and I met in 2017, working (laughs) at an internship at a tiny nonprofit theater gallery space in Adams Morgan in D.C., what a space I was thinking about it earlier it was just like how I think feel like it's very rare for me to know someone that like has no connections to anyone else in my life you know it's just us it's like a singular and like it's to the point where like you are like my internet boyfriend to my friend (laughs) well you know my friend Erin and they're like who and I'm like you know that girl that I interned with and then she got Twitter famous because of and then she's on <laughs> and everyone's like what are you talking? who are you talking about <laughs> exactly and like that was such for like an internship that I think we mostly did like MailChimp for like not, <laughs> we were not working anywhere close to 40 hours a week we were not mm-hmm. anything I don't know why they needed two of us even like I, I'm just it was like it, it was the most confounding like it it was like a liminal space in my head really we were like working in a hallway in a theater like truly a hallway our boss for some reason had his own office in the hallway and there was just a typewriter just a typewriter and you would turn around and hear the typewriter sounds and he's like he's just you would on like the very short walk from the metro to the office you would pass a huge bus poster with him on it and it was always scary but um and like nobody knew what he did which was was just there yeah there were just so many weird like iconic moments in that like one time I think it was all the same day one time the power went out for the whole street everyone was like what do we do what do we do all of the adults decided we're gonna go to the bar the second they stood up to leave the power came back on they were like well we're still gonna go to the bar so I think we just played webkins the whole time they were like you guys have fun we're leaving and we were like our computer was connected to the like the sound system of the of the gallery so if anyone had come in at the time they would hear webkin sound effects and the perhaps the craziest thing is that the bathroom did not have a ceiling it had a bathtub it did not have a ceiling so Everyone in the office could fully hear everything everyone did in that bathroom. I think I used to literally go to the Starbucks on, like, on a break. Because I was like, I can't. Anyways. Yeah. It was so bad. It was like, yeah, when we had no air conditioning, it was like, there were mosquitoes everywhere. Yeah. It's one of those things, though. It's like, it's really you overhype yourself because you're like this is my first job and then when you get there you're like this is deeply this is not what I thought it was going to be and this is so deeply unserious and then you think well surely this is just and like this is not like endemic to all nonprofits or all no. art organizations this is just this one shitty art organization and then you like do more jobs where you're like mm-hmm. 
oh, now we're, I'm getting, like, cachet. Like, I'm getting, like, name recognition. This is, like, perhaps one of the biggest, like, community, or like, organizing-oriented theaters in the country. And you're still, like, oh, it's still like this? We're still doing this? You guys mm-hmm. have, we're not, we don't need to be, but it's just all, it was a good, if, if only I could go <laughs> That actually, yeah, this is just what every single arts nonprofit is going to be like. Uh, yeah. Maybe I could have saved myself a lot of years, but. I even put it in a pilot about working at a different nonprofit, but perhaps one of the most mind boggling things is that like there was a book about every single postage stamp you used and every single postage stamp had to be accounted for. And for some reason, I feel like this was like my job. I don't know why I had it in my mind like that, but like it- truly like the date the place you would be like okay I ordered I bought 200 postage stamps on Friday we have 149 and there are three unaccounted for and it's my job to figure out where, and it was like the thing that mattered most at oh, the job and I don't even understand I think maybe one time someone suggested to me that some a previous employee had maybe been embezzling via stamps <laughs> <laughs> that's in my memory I, I, I will I will also say the whole money laundering through stamps thing is just heavy on my mind always because it's a joke that people in my family do that. Anyways, that's not important. <laughs> Basically, I, I don't know why, but I remember the seriousness about the stamps. And I also have this vague memory that someone had maybe lightly implied that someone had embezzled from them via the stamps. Yeah. Why? How could, what money could you possibly making that way? Like, yeah. what are you, are you selling I, stamps on the black market? Like, I'm so, or like, you're just like, I'm offsetting my personal, but like, who is using stamps at that rate? It was just so confusing. Yeah, especially because my job was like, they're, they were like, at some point, we like lost all track of the stamps. And so we need you to go back retroactively before you even started working here and figure out where they went. <laughs> and the thing is, the most salient, like the part of that job that was the most transferable skill was donor snap, right? Was like mm-hmm. like yeah. consumer database management, right? Like that's a and that's like a super, super transferable skill. And we never were in donor snap because no one was donating. No one was donating. No one was donating. Later in my my career, I was like, people were like, you really should have like CRM knowledge. You should have like that. You should work in Tessitura. You should work in this. And I was like, I used to do that a little, but I don't think I, I but your guys are like really intense. You know, you, yeah. have, you like really use, it's like very, I, I don't know. It's so. <laughs> no, because the summer before I had worked at, at the Girl Scout office yeah. in DC, which, which is what this pilot is all about. And just gosh, the silliness of it. <laughs> and it's so, it sucks because it's like we're trying to do a good thing and it's all bad. None it's of it makes bad. any sense. It's just what it feels like when you're working on a nonprofit. You're like, I'm trying to do a good thing right now, but you guys are making it impossible. And nobody wants to be there. Nobody, nobody wants to be there. Everyone is like, and by the way, if you don't give everything you've got to the people, you're nothing. You're exactly. nothing and you're no one. You do it because you love it and it feels good. I'm like, it doesn't feel good anymore. Not at all. Not at all. Also, we're just going to forget that the board exists. That's fine. Anyways, (laughs) shout out to, to, should we plug them? Is that Elise? I don't know. Are they even still open? I mean, you want to are. They are. They are, but um, our bot, the guy who was he left. He's gone. Wow. Wow. Because that was his. That was, he seemed to take a lot of pride in that. The the part that I found the funniest was that the our supervisor we had two like supervisors who were under the big guy and we thought one of them was the gayest woman alive and we mm-hmm. thought one of them was the straightest woman alive 
because that was the energy they were both giving off. Like if you looked at them just from their with the way they were dressing their faces, the yeah. way they talked to you, their names, somebody is straight and somebody's not. And and we had it completely a hundred percent wrong. Yeah. And as the years waned on, we were looking at their social media, we were like, oh my God, we're we were wrong, wrong. We were we deep- were <laughs> I just remember him coming out of that office every once in a while and saying like the harshest <laughs> thing and then leaving. Yeah, the most insane. It was like, it was really like The Office. Mm-hmm. But also, I think I've also yet to ever, and maybe this is different for you because you have different kinds of workplaces from me, but I've never then worked at a place where I didn't feel like some iteration of like, I need to be like, someone is, this is fake, right? <laughs> like working, work culture is so absurd sometimes. And it's so easy to get lost in the sauce of it where you're like, this is so real and so. Yeah. Like, sometimes when I watch, I don't know if on TikTok you watch, like, that one girl who does your nonprofit boss. I think you might have sent it to me. I don't know. <laughs> and the other girl, corporate Aaron, but the girl yes. who does your nonprofit boss actually treats her like, turn it off because I'm yeah. like, you're being too real. She's like, well, I think what we should remember is um, we don't really have the budget. We're not like a big budget place. So we don't have the budget to keep the heat on. And that's exactly... And if you really cared about the work, you would just bring your own heater to work. Like, that's yeah. exactly. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, man, man. Wow. Um, no, I think that was the last, like, real office job I had. Because then in college, I worked it as a museum docent. And then, right. well, no, I had, like, I had, like, six months. Well, actually, I had a year and a half working at this <laughs> development place once I got to L.A. But that was mostly in COVID. And that was also deeply silly. That was every day I was like, we could all be doctors. And instead, we're here. You want me to treat what? Like a minor technical issue? Like, oh, the toilet in this one scene isn't spraying cash exactly the way that I want it to. And it's going to ruin the whole show. You want me to treat that like it's like life or death? Yeah. Yeah. I love the arts. I'm a big supporter of seriousifying the unserious. Okay, I like to take everything with equal intellectual academic weight in my life. I like to approach everything like that. It's fun for me. But in some instances, I must admit, when I, when I was working in nonprofit theater, the kinds of things that people were like calling fires, you know, like reacting yeah. to like big fires is like, it becomes deep. It's so unserious. Once you're deep in it, you can't tell anymore. And then you're out of it. And you're like, what? Oh. <laughs> I, like, I lost three weeks of sleep over something that is ultimately largely come entirely. In- to go yeah. um. Well, let's dive into our book today. <laughs> our book today is American Girl Magazine's The Care and Keeping of You by Valerie Lee Schaefer from 1998. What a banger. What is your story with this book? How did it come into your life? Okay, great question. So I assume this book is written in 1998, but I assume that I probably first read it when I was like in the fifth grade or something, which is like about 2008. I think it's horrifying to think about the fact that Obama was inaugurated the same year that I had to learn about sex in school. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what? Yeah. (laughs) My two memories of I actually, my three memories of fifth grade are writing letters to the soldiers, <laughs> watching the Obama inauguration in class, and then learning about puberty, which yeah. in Maryland, in the public school system, which Aaron and I are both, we're both mm-hmm. members of the Maryland public school system. Uh, <laughs> um, 
that unit is called family life oh yeah and (laughs) and And you had to get a permission slip to say this is okay or else you had to go sit in the library some people not allowed to learn about family life in the fifth grade that's fine it doesn't matter because in the sixth grade you have to and you cannot opt out so I don't know why it's like that big of a deal anyways one buffer year (laughs) (laughs) I in this year because of this class and because you know it's starting to become applicable right my mom went out and bought me this book I was a big American Girl fan so she bought me like a whole ton of books the thing about my mom is the thing about both my parents is that they live on this like really fraught line of like intellectually liberated they were like like because they grew up in communist China my mom was so like sex positive birth control positive like very like cool in that way but like they're still repressed immigrant parents they they were like we we want you to be free live your life but we can't talk to you about it with your face so my mom was like let me just buy her a bunch of books she got me like everything that american girl put out that was like the like the lifestyle stuff yeah girl's guide to dating girl's guide to manners right and then like the chicken soul for the teenage soup books and notably this book and i don't know i think like I really, I fixated on it hard because I was like, oh, here are just the steps. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> going to tell me exactly how I could become a normal teenage girl and I'm going to write them down and pay attention to them. Oh man, you're so right because it is like, <laughs> in some aspects, like it's a holy grail. It's like, here's it's- how you do it. Here- <laughs> it's like, a, it's, I was thinking about this because I was like, you know, back then I was like, Oh, it's just because, like, my parents are immigrants and I don't really know much about, like, my dad is literally from, like, a random farm in China, no running water, right? Like, to him, hygiene level of care, that's going to be probably, like, outweighed by things like, do I have water to do that with at all? And they have, like, different ideas about, you know, that. And I think it was fair, like, as much as I'm, like, there should not be you know shame or judgment around that period it was still really helpful for me to be like here's something that I can look at and reference and I don't have to talk to anybody right like I don't have to ask anybody weird questions it was like I mean I would say I was like I had a a device you know I had access to the internet my whole life but like there is something shameful like ungodly shameful about typing when you're a child like on your family desktop exactly like why does my thing smell like you're not it's just it's a little horrifying yeah so I yeah I really even though like my parents you know if they didn't have the book there wasn't the internet we could have had those conversations and I think they would have been you know ultimately we would have worked through it together like it would have been fine but I'm glad that I'm actually really glad that I figured it out on my own in a sense because I think it gave me a lot of autonomy over it and also you know there's definitely stuff where I was like well that's stupid I'm not gonna do that yeah I should have done it. I should have done it. For example, the toenails. She tells you to cut them in a straight line so you don't get any grown toenails. I didn't listen to her because I didn't have a, a straight nail clipper, but she was right. And I just think everybody should know that just in case. <laughs> like d- transitioning into our author, Valerie Lee Schaefer, I need everyone listening to Google search her because she is single-handedly the coolest woman I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, absolutely. She, she worked for American Girl Magazine, which we you touched on a little. We have to talk about American Girl Magazine. Oh, American Girl Magazine. The bubble. Because, 
First thing I have to say is before American Girl Magazine, which started in the 80s, there was an American Girl Magazine in the 20s and 30s, which which was put out by the Girl Scouts of the USA, which of <laughs> course I know. It was like, I worked in this Girl Scout Museum and we had old copies. And so everyone was like, American Girl Magazine, like the dolls? And we'd be like, no, this is about like badges and <laughs> first aid. But the, I really loved the magazine in the 2000s. Yeah. It was, it was so like, good. yeah, it was very little about the dolls, but yeah. it was like, there were, you know, there were like, not human interest pieces, but there were like articles related to life and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. There were, I remember so many crafts, which was a so- big thing for me. The snacks for me. Yes. I wanted every snack that they yeah. put in that book. I was like, I vividly remember. I still sometimes like eat, not like exactly this, but a version of this, which is yeah. like the apples with the peanut butter and the chocolate chips and you make a little apple sandwich. with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like... It was a guidebook to life. And there were so many other books like both like these, which I didn't have, which is so weird. It's like such a blind spot that I didn't have Karen Keeping of You. But I had like, yeah, I, well, so I had and I've, I'm so glad I found this. I had the period book, which I'm showing right now by Karen Gravel. And I didn't know this until now. It's written also by her 15 year old niece, who, according to the back of the book, Went to Falls Church High School in Virginia, which is same basic area as us. DMZ. And it's obviously like much more about period, menstruation, sex, but there are also really fun, a lot of really fun illustrations. It's like, but they're, it's really detailed in terms of like, they show you a full diagram of a vulva. They say like, they have this great like side view of a woman's reproductive system. They show you exactly how to insert a tampon, which I still, I think about this image every single, it's not a, like a gross image. It's just how to put in a tampon. No, I, yeah. Yeah. I think about it every time. Very, very helpful. But I, my mom gave it to me. I got my first zit in fourth grade and I had zits up until last year. I had to take Accutane to get rid of them. <laughs> it was like I turned 25 and my face exploded. It was awful. Okay, It's also happening to me. And I'm like, what the f- I always in high school over by exactly like I was worried that I had like a tumor or something and I never went to a gynecologist about it which is bad but it was like I turned 25 we were shooting season two of Flash I was on television and it was like it was so deep it was so painful it was bizarre awful but I in fourth grade, I got my first zit. I went to my mom was like, what the fuck is this? She showed me how to pop it, which regrettable. And then she handed me the period book. And she said, I didn't know how it had highlights in it. I bought it used. And then she ran. My mom physically cannot run, but she ran. <laughs> which yeah, like, that's- no shame that it's got highlights. Like I, the thing I love most in the world is a used book. But absolutely no talk about it. The last time my parents like sat me down for a talk was second grade. I kept putting shit in my mouth. It was just like putting marbles in my mouth. And they were like, stop it. (laughs) That was the last time we had a proper talk. I remember our talk about sex very, very, very clearly because so the dealers in the fifth grade, they're not allowed to talk how sex happens. Mm -hmm. 
And then in the sixth grade, they just start referring to it like you know it how it happens already, which is so insane. Like there's never, they never do the actual we're in school and I'm telling you exactly how it works. It's like they assume that you've magically gained that information somehow in between fifth and sixth grade. It's and not like, like they send a letter to parents. Oh, like, this is, no. It they're just... not like, by the way, just so you know, in the sixth grade, we're going to start talking about it like it's common knowledge. Yeah. I remember walking into sixth grade and there was like a sign on the health room that was like abstinence. It's not a dirty word. And I was like, what do you mean? What? What are we're, oh, we're talking about this now? But you never even told me about. I remember being like, we left something off. But again, I already knew this is the point of the story. The point of the story is that when I told my parents in the fifth grade, I was like, they won't tell us. But I think I know what it is. Can you just like tell me if it's true or not? And they were like, sure. And I was like, I read this nature book and it says that. <laughs> it was like about crocodiles i was like i read this nature book and it says that like crocodiles do this and she's like yeah, yeah that's basically it when i was like good talk bye and for the next three to four years of my life i thought that sex was just when you put it in and then you were completely motionless mm-hmm. and nothing else happens because that was the extent of how far my brain got i was like well i figured it out <laughs> did you grow up with a lot of mormons yeah yeah actually yeah. yes yeah yeah Yeah, me too (laughs) but the really serious ones all have a co-op that they attend together yes basketball uh i only knew because of theater (laughs) yes the mormon basketball because there's a temple out near you and it's got a huge indoor basketball court i know exactly what you're talking about this is my favorite thing of like meeting people after high school who grew up in the same kind of area and comparing yeah. notes because it really like so much of adulthood for me is like what was normal and what was bizarre <laughs> I remember fifth grade was the sex was like the puberty talk more than sex ed and yeah. they divided okay. everyone into boys and girls mm-hmm. and the girls class I just remember them saying like you're gonna get your period and you can use pads or tampons they didn't have a pad but they had a tampon and I remember not them telling us how to put it in, but I remember Miss Cumberland, she took off the wrapper and then had a giant jar of water and just dunked it in. And of course it exploded, like huge. That's not and going to get me. Exactly. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to explode. Like what? So I never used tampons until like maybe college, which is something I really appreciated actually about this book is that it's just like, it's so well-written and kind about the variation in bodies, which is really nice. I I guess going back a little bit, Valerie Schaefer worked for American Girl Magazine. Um, They got letters all the time about like, what's my body doing? And they sort of collectively said like, we need to answer these questions. Um, which was so great. Valerie Lee Schaefer had a child that year and I think was 37. Mm-hmm. Um, the book turned 25 last year, which was three days ago, which was uh, 2023. And it came out in 98, a little just tiny touch on 98. Monica Lewinsky scandal was happening. Countries were forbidding human cloning. The infamous article in The Lancet that said uh, vaccines cause autism was first published. That's false. Let's just say that. Fuck That's you. false. Um <laughs> And Google was created, among many other things. But I just loved how sweet and how honest and how earnest this book was. It was so generous. It was exactly like you said about like, and they were so straightforward. They're like, the more information you have, the less scary and surprising it is going to be. It is hard to talk about and you deserve to know. And it was so 
and also the context then of like when I first went into this without I had not you know done the extra research on Valerie yet um, I had seen her making TikToks about this so that's sort of why it was in my head when you asked me to come on because um, I remember like as an adult woman finding out that the author of this beloved book to me is a very cool Asian American woman was so exciting and then I remember when I started reading the book, I was like, I love how this is sort of setting the stage for like young women to take an actual responsibility or like autonomy of their own wellness or health, right? Like, I think it sets the stage up well to be like, have a dialogue with your doctor or your dentist, right? If you're scared, ask them about what's going to happen. Like there's stuff you can do to mitigate this. There's stuff you can do to advocate for yourself. You have options, right? It's not prescriptive in any way. It's not like this is the exact thing you should be doing to be healthy. It's just like, what do you feel? And if you feel like it's a problem, maybe you should like see someone and talk to them about it. And then when I found out that she had been pregnant at 37 when she published this book that she goes into detail in one of her pieces she talks about how it was like you know a high-risk pregnancy there was like complications and she was on bed rest and she was editing it and she I was just thinking about my mom was 36 that year in 1998 she had me and obviously that like hits home very hard but also I think the idea that like she had been navigating this for lack of a better term like hostile medical right or in industry industrial complex whatever and she had some sense of like struggle in that that she wanted to somehow address through the writing this book like being like oh by the way this is how we set you up to start taking charge of your own health later on like you need to be involved in it and you need to be in charge of it otherwise no one else is I don't know it really I think as someone who has often been like the fear of the medical intervention can be enough to make me not want, you know, to be like, it's probably fine. I'll just brush it under the rug. Exactly. I was like, it is so nice to be able to encourage people to be like, this is not a scary thing. And this person is not a God or, you know, a monster. It is, it's just a person. Yeah. Anyways. No, it is. You're right. It's such an invitation of a book, which is so beautiful. And I, I do wish I had it because it, like you said, it's so broad. It's about everything. And there were things in it, like even, and I think maybe this is true for a lot of people. And like flipping through my version of it through my period book this morning, I was like, oh, I don't remember it saying that. And it was talking about the different ways your uterus and your vagina can be tilted. And I was like, oh, I have that. Whoa. I really wish i remembered that. <laughs> That's yeah. really informative. But it it's such an invitation. I think the only thing that they put as like a broad, you must do this is, and they say like, anytime a person makes you uncomfortable about your own body, like an adult, yeah. tell someone immediately. Yeah. And they, they use the word immediately. And I love that. And I, I love what you're saying about like the medical industrial complex, because I was born the year before. My mom had a very traumatic injury at my birth. She continued to say like, guys, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And she was ignored. And now she is uh, disabled and is in constant pain because of it. And it absolutely blows. And that's also just like you said, has given me so much distrust of the medical system. There were things that like, I never knew that I had to there were obviously things in this book that like were a little shortcoming or like a little dated. Like there was, um, yeah, it's 25 years old. Of course it is. There was one thing that like no one ever told me, which is on your, this is getting very specific, on your areola, you can have lumps. Yes. And, oh my God. Yes. 
And so I had a grandmother who had breast cancer. She died when I was in like ninth grade. So I was in college. I had this like very hard lump on my areola. I thought breast cancer, of course, because that's like, if you're a young woman, especially. So I went to student health and and the student health doctor was like, ooh, (laughs) go to the real doctor. So I went to the doctor and they were like, no, dude, that's just a bump. That just happens. Get it out of here. And what's funny is like six months later, I was talking to a professor who I was very close with and I'm still close with. I was like, oh yeah, I thought I had cancer for a hot minute in the spring. She goes, me too. I also thought I had cancer for a hot minute. (laughs) I think there's so many jokes about like the female body being a mystery to men. It's also a mystery to young girls a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, like we've always had the internet, but it was a family desktop. Like I, my access to the internet was like going on my mom's computer when she was napping to play The Sims. Yeah. And so anything you Google, you didn't know how to clear your Google history, or at least not at the beginning. So they were going to know like parental controls were your parents also using the computer at the same time. Yeah. You know? it, I was also thinking about this, like in the, I was like, man, what were people doing before the internet, right? Like it was a full 10 years after this book was published that I was using it. Mm-hmm. And I still, we were, it was still not like, you know, clearly I was not Googling this stuff, right? All of those years, the 10 years before that, how, what were you doing? I was thinking about the Unitarian Universalists. I actually just genuinely think like any child anywhere in the world, someone somewhere like, you know, they know about sex and it's not because of school and it's not because of the internet. It's because of a kid who was in the Unitarian Universalist church growing up. And that's just a fact. Those people, they're doing God's work because they have a super, super comprehensive sex ed curriculum. It's really rigorous. And it's like part of their like the UU version of Sunday school. Like, and so your Sunday school class goes on a retreat to the woods and they teach you about sex and back when I was in high school my friends would tell me what they learned and back then they were saying like they were talking about like the different kinds of sexualities the different kinds of like gender identities like right like it's a spectrum and they were telling you about dental dams and like making them watch live birthing videos right and so then my friends would come back and they would tell me everything they learned and then I would be like oh great I know things now Man. Great. You guys heard about this crazy new thing called gray area sexual <laughs> like I was like popping off. Man, they did not have that at Pulsewell High School. <laughs> I, there was like a bustling, bustling little like UU community in in Howard County, Maryland. Shout out. Um Damn. Funny. Yeah, shout out to those kids. They taught me everything I need to know. And then of course Tumblr in the well, post yeah. laptop age. Yeah. Yeah, laptop. I didn't I remember I went to this college program in between sophomore and junior year of high school in New York. And that was where I learned that bisexuality exists. And I was like, that's an option. Because I had two friends who were like, yeah, I'm bisexual. And I was like, one of you is 15. This is insane to me because I was also 15. And I was like, you can do that. And it took me like two full years to be like, oh, I do that. <laughs> Just hilarious. Are the uh, and this is one last thing, I guess, about the magazine. They did not touch on sex, to my memory, at all in it. Because I guess they would be, like, sending that through the mail. That's pornography. But my favorite thing, and they do it in this book, is that any letters from girls would be typed out. But they would keep, I, maybe it wasn't the real girls, but they would keep their signature, their handwriting. I thought it was really cute. I loved those real girl accounts. Because, man, as I was reading those back, I just, I was like, Oh, God, I so remember being like, 
oh, what the fuck do you know, Valerie Lee Schaefer? My life is terrible and it'll never get better. And it's, it, and, and I remember so strongly just not being able to see beyond the current moment. Yeah. And so when I was going back and reading it, I was like, man, I did not even, I had not even an inkling that one day I would just agree with the, like, because yeah. The way that she responds to these is so, it's good. It's so good. She's so thoughtful and she's so measured and so grounded and real. But at the time, all of those, like all of that kind of advice, when you're that age, it just feels like platitudes, right? Yeah. Because you don't fucking know what it's like to be me right now. Mom, like you have yeah. to say that I'm pretty because I'm your daughter. And like, you have to say that everybody's vo- bodies are weird because, but like, but that's not true because I'm a hundred percent certain that my body is the weirdest like it's a time in which it's the only time in your life in which it is like 100% valid for all of your mental energy to just be directed inward and to just be scrutinizing from every angle I read some reviews about this because I was like obviously this book is not is 25 damn years old okay it's not like factually objectively like there is definitely outdated information in this yeah three to four glasses of milk per day yeah (laughs) that's so much milk you guys which to be fair I was at least at two I was a I still am a big milk person it's probably the most controversial thing about me and that's okay no but but also if you had the privilege of being able to digest milk you should take it if I could Mm -hmm. I'm certain I would, right? <laughs> There's just no solution for heartburn, like a good glass of milk. And I've always had heartburn. I've had heartburn since I was a baby. It was actually, so my, <laughs> here's a fun, a fun aside. My mom was an adjunct and also studying at uh, George Washington University when I was a real baby. And so I was in their like daycare center. And at one point, so we would actually, we would use the playground where the Obama sisters would later go to walk across the street. But every once in a while, like GW students would come by for like, if they were studying children for whatever reason. So one time I think a bunch of like child, um, like vocal, I'm not thinking of the word, but like voice uh, students oh. were coming by and they pulled my mom aside afterwards and they was like, why does your daughter sound like she smokes a pack a day? And my parents were like, that's just Aaron. And they're like, no, see a doctor about that. And I was having like acid reflux all the time. <laughs> that's so funny because actually, well, to be, this is it's like singing, singers, classical yeah. voice and acid reflux are like inextricably linked. Like, you cannot be a good singer without having terrible acid reflux because what happens is the like sphincter at the top of your trachea or the, whatever the sphincter that's here when you are pushing air out at such in such a way like if you're training like that like and you're doing it constantly you basically atrophy that sphincter that's on top of like the trachea and the stomach and the esophagus and so um yeah so then that hole is just open so then all of your stomach acid can just come up back into your mouth at any point and so I also have bad girl because of that hell yeah <laughs> anyways great queen the other thing about this book that was really it's crazy like you can realize things about puberty after you're done with puberty which oh, I yeah. think is insane I didn't realize until recently that puberty is straight up body horror yeah and I don't know why I didn't realize that I guess because it's like it's it's punted to you as like mm-hmm. a beautiful miracle of life yeah. and like it is just it's you should it's good and you should be proud of it and like you should be ready to 
You should be ready to become a stranger to your own flesh physical form. No, I'm never okay. No, I, I can't even. Every year since I've turned 18, I've cried myself to sleep on my birthday because I will never be that age again. Okay. Like, yeah. I, I can't even handle that. I don't know why people were like, it'll just be okay if suddenly your entire body is completely different and also all of your feelings are foreign to you. You'll be yeah. fine. You'll figure it out. Like, it's a terrifying, terrifying thing. And, um, oh, I was saying this earlier. So I read some reviews where people were like, yeah. I'm displeased with it and a lot of them were like people being like it's just not very empowering like she talks too much about like weight and too much about um comparing yourself to other people's bodies you talk too much about other people's bodies and shame and feeling scared it's not scary it shouldn't be ashamed like it should be just empowering and I was like I come from two people who are like the least ashamed people I've ever met like my parents' whole deal growing up was that they were like, we just want you to be completely you and not to be ashamed or feel weird or feel like people are judging you. Like, you know, my parents are very like, who cares? Fuck them if they care. Like, we don't, we're just, they're so self-secure, both of them. And I have always, regardless, been ashamed. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I have so much shame. It's I think about it every day. Every day, every day. <laughs> and so bad <laughs> it's so bad and I'm like it didn't matter that my that any like even if I factually knew everybody's body is weird everybody's body is different everybody feels this way and to some extent you do know right yeah. you have an inkling you have friends you talk to them you know it must be true because everyone says so but still it doesn't feel good if it, it is terrifying and mm-hmm. like I don't think the solution to empowerment is like let's just only approach this from a positive angle it's gonna feel like the whole point of it all largely is like you have to be able to find joy in life knowing that you're gonna eat shit and continue to eat shit like (laughs) you're gonna eat shit (laughs) just but you have to figure it out anyways right like it's not like I don't know it's not like empowerment comes from a place of like nothing bad can ever happen to me because it never has that's Mm -hmm. not how you get there I think it's like the acknowledgement the first step to quieting the fear in your mind is to be like it is rational that I am afraid of this yeah exactly it's all of the acknowledgement that like this is scary this is weird this is disarming I think that is such like a necessary basis to go forward because like you said if everyone's approaching it as like beautiful there's no way I'm going to connect with that and I think that's such like a parent thing to be like I see you as my child as beautiful and I'm glad you're changing but it's like no this is it's been like 30 years since you've been here and it's fucking terrifying and it's not fun it's terrifying and it's like and I had, I have a friend who is a teacher now. She's actually like, she's assistant principal, but in college she studied a lot of like child development and psychology and stuff like that. And she once told me, you know, the reason why music from your teens and from your preteens is so nostalgic is because quite literally because of your brain chemistry, when you're going through puberty, when you, like from the ages of like, whatever, 12 to 18 and that period of your time, your brain is such a fucking hormonal chemical mess that everything hits harder and music and all of that kind of emotional stuff genuinely hits emotionally chemically harder than any time else in your life and I learned that when I was not that age anymore when I was too old I'd already (laughs) come of age and I was like no I need to go back now I need to I need to listen to everything again knowing that I felt like that I remember being a kid thinking it was so insane that people are like don't try to grow up too fast. Don't try to rush it. 
a 16 year old at sleepaway camp once told me don't ever stop wearing limited to don't ever hold on to that as long as you can because one day you're going to be forced to stop wearing it and you're going to you're going to look back and you're going to be like why did I stop wearing limited to I shouldn't have done that and I was like what do you know you're 16 but she was right <laughs> she was right and I would say it again I would say that it again was- something wild looking back at at the period book because it's it's so focused but there's a section right at the end where they're saying playing they're talking about the concept of play and they're like playing is an important part of being human and we should do it all our lives men do so women should not allow themselves to be told that they must stop playing mind-blowing the the section is the section is called Godzilla versus Barbie which is mind-blowing because I literally I was just home from my parents house I brought home a box of toys yesterday I was putting toys on my desk they're all here watching me it just so reminds me of that one episode of Pen15 where they're embroiled in the playing debacle where they're like, we should try doing things that like real big kids do. And then at the end of the day, they're like, I think I just still want to play Sylvania and family yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. And like the, the thing is, like, I, I didn't even have Sylvanian families. I, this is going on a deep dive, but I always saw those at like, I didn't always see them because we didn't always shop at stores that had them because <laughs> they were so expensive. So, so I had... Expensive. I had little, those are flocked. I had little flocked figures that you could get at Claire's on keychains and I would screw the keychains out of the top of their heads. And that was my version. And (laughs) sorry, keep going. No, it's okay. So at one point I was like a freshman in college and I told my mom, like I always wanted calico critters. And so she went out and got me a family when I was like 20. And that- that's real good, mom. That's real good parenting. And when I got home and showed my boyfriend all of these toys, he was so good. He sat there and watched me go through every single one. And the whole time I was like, I need to go. He he needs to do things. I need to stop doing this. And he just let me keep going. Oh, of course. That's, that's pure love. I was going to say, that's so funny that you say that because I wore this sweater. <laughs> oh my God. Just I want this. that grandmother um I guess because people probably I have sunny angels on my sweatshirt this is alt text I have sunny angels on my sweatshirt and it says proud mother I in a house font okay anyway <laughs> I want that man I, my I, friend who lives in LA got this for me I will ask her thank you I want that I, I don't have any sunny angels but I want them I want to you seem like someone who would love no they're like I have like an infinite wish list google doc for consumerism and and that's they're on they're on there also i went through like the most recent calico like the 2020s uh calico family releases and went through like which one do i want there's a floppy ear rabbit family that's got to be the best family they've ever put out i love a floppy ear rabbit (laughs) i'm big into play i'm big into play i was just thinking about my big so I guess the background is that after I stopped working in theater, I decided, well, I've been working in theater education. I started to work with kids. I had never been someone who had thought of myself as like a kids person or an education person. Um, I I don't know if, I don't know if that was like surprising to you necessarily, but other people in my life were like, you what now? You do what? And I'm like, yeah, I actually, I love kids. I want them. I want to teach them. I want to be around them all the time. Oopsie. And One of the things that I started to think about a lot when I was working with kids, one of the reasons I love working with kids is they 
when especially in like liberatory work in like organizing in anything that is like moving towards liberation or restorative justice right it's the hardest part of like radicalizing people in that sense is asking them to think outside of the things that they believe to be true untrue possible not possible right like Mm -hmm. the idea that the only way to deal with people who harm others is prison right whatever like Mm -hmm. and I had a professor once who was like the hardest thing about this kind of work is like it's really difficult to literally imagine something that you have never ever like encountered before it's really hard to create something that is entirely not informed by the world that you live in now by the societal structures that we create we live under we've created now right kids do that automatically right like kids don't have ideas about what is right what is wrong what is possible what is impossible a kid is just like anything is possible and we can just we need to figure out a creative solution to make that thing possible right like we can shape our world to determine what is possible and impossible um, and I think the best example I have of this is I was uh, I, I reused this. This is like my, my number one anecdote of life. These kids, we have like a young playwrights program. These kids are writing plays. In this play, they had bad guys who made a machine. They put all the puppies in the world through this machine that turned them from good to bad. So they made evil puppies. And then when they caught the bad guys, the professor or the teacher was like, well, well so what do you think we should do with the bad guys? And we were like, well, we can't kill them or just put them in jail. Like, that's so boring. We don't want to just do that. What else can we do? And the kids were like, oh, easy. Make the make bad machine go backwards to make things good. And then put the bad guys in the make bad machine backwards so they become good. And I was like, you did it. Congratulations. You solved it. You figured it out. And even just watching kids work out issues like conflict on their own, they're just, they have such good intentions. They want everyone to get what they want. And they don't think it's insane for people to be able to get what they want. Like they don't, Mm. they're happy to compromise if it means that two people are happy, right? Like it it just like, it blows my mind. They're, they're kind of the ultimate comrades, you know, they're just, they're very untethered to preconceived parameters and schemas of the world and like I find so much inspiration and joy in that because you know I quite literally I'm a big believer in like my brain is totally elastic my brain is totally like malleable I can think or change however I want to right if I really wanted to and I've tried to practice that as much as possible in my life because otherwise you know how would I expect other people to want to change Mm -hmm. right and like that's what is so exciting about kids is like there are things about my brain at this point that I am too old to change unfortunately but when I see a kid think of something exciting like that and they blow my mind in that way I'm like I think I'm like more I'm like every time I'm like inching closer and closer to being able to like really move stuff around I don't know I I just think it's we live in a society that really punishes being a child and being inquisitive and mischievous and playful and curious like even being idealistic like I don't I I hate the idea we have where like being idealistic is somehow bad or being naive is bad or being taken advantage of like allowing yourself to be weak like these are all bad things right I think in western society we just really devalue children right like they're not they're on a different sort of like citizen level than other people absolutely yeah literally by right and we we spend so much of our lives trying to grow up and trying to like mute all of these voices that have been with us since we were kids and I I that's why for me like that's why I love art and education and that's why I think art is so important is because it's one of the best ways to stay there to keep 
those voices, those ideas, those, you know, little, to keep that inside your head. And I think it's so easy to forget what it's like to feel a certain age, to be a certain age. That's my biggest fear, especially like, as I think about if I want to have my own kids, right? Like, I never want to be locked in a moment where I'm like, I've lost all sight of what it meant to be your age. I think that's so sad, you know? And um, that's why it was so exciting to revisit this book because it really was like just a direct, it was like I was like mind linking with my old self in a way that I haven't felt in a while. Like I think it's hard sometimes. And so it was just like, oh God, I remember exactly like every cell in my body how it was when I when I read this the first time and it's good that I remember that and I hope I remember it for the rest of my life every part of that was so gorgeous (laughs) I think about kids a lot sorry it's like no it's amazing and I think like you said it's so important because I think kids are so undervalued and, and how can you think about the future and not think about kids? Like, how can you imagine a world and not think about kids? And I think you said, like, right at the beginning, you said, like, maybe it's surprising to me how how much you think about kids now. And I think, like, I, I was thinking about this. I think one of the last times I saw you during that internship, your niece was born. Yes. And, oh, my God. And I think, like, oh. I I love seeing everything you post about your niece. I think, like, the, you see so much of, like, your heart and your joy and your love in that. I think that's so amazing. And I guess as you were listing, like, characteristics, I feel so detached from my childhood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I often feel like I'm an only child. I think I was, like, parentified and really adult as a kid and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. And as you're, as you're listing all of these, you know, like traits of childhood, like curiosity and, and imagination. And I was like, oh, actually I have all of those. Like those are in me. And those are like, I, I, I'm constantly curious. That's why I love history. That's why I love research. That's, you know, wow. It's like, you know, I think the, the, the commodification of the term inner child work has really not (laughs) well with me because people think it's just about like being you know whatever but but again I think the reason that it, it has negative connotations associated with it is like there is this real shame about ch- being likened to a child yeah. because I think like people find it shameful what does it say about our society right that like people find it shameful to be like a child as an adult I think it is insane to think that like progress is linear in that way and that you will that once you abandon childhood you will never return to it again all of us are deeply regressive at different points in our lives everybody feels like a child all the time I think you actually to be honest I think you feel like a child your whole life absolutely yeah tangentially like working in entertainment and stuff such a huge bulk of our media and entertainment is about high school mind-boggling and, and we have this like obsession with it and can't let go of it it's so fascinating because it's like because a when are the high schoolers actually acting like high schoolers genuinely yeah. because like in it, it is it all is it is like it's larping but like in a yeah. thera- therapeutic role play in a sense right like that's such a good way to put it yeah yeah, it's like the way, like, oh, I wish I could go back to being in high school, but also have everything I know right now. Well, it's not, it's not the point. And also yeah. the other high schoolers would think you were weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's also maybe like, 
maybe high school is a place where like you are allowed to be messy and like really dramatic and crazy and that you have to your dog is so small your dog's legs are so short I love it (laughs) she's like she's like a little I don't even know I don't know she I found her on the street so obviously like I don't really know what kind of dog she is but also like she doesn't really look like any dog I've ever one time I was walking her in Baltimore where I found her like literally the exact I was walking by the exact playground in which she was originally found by my friends and this guy looked at her and went I never seen a dog that looked like that before and I, <laughs> okay uh, me neither but you don't have to be rude about it. isn't that beautiful <laughs> <laughs> she's a nice stinky baby I love her <laughs> she also that's okay that's the other thing about kids is that I think when you're interfacing with kids, I think you can renegotiate your relationship with yourself yeah. in the sense of like reactions to your kids, how you're reacting in conflict to children is so indicative of where you're at, like what you're it like it's really like you gotta be like airtight before yeah. you talk to a kid. Cause whatever your insecurities are, whatever your you haven't worked out in your brain, they're gonna find it immediately and they're gonna push on it. You, yeah. you don't even know it's a problem for you okay there's so many things with like when it comes to like even like my dog or like my nieces where I'm like why is my what is my reaction to that why do I have that reaction to that was that necessary like is someone dying is somebody like going no like it's just it's just this or that then like why am I freaking out but I think it's like I I don't know I it's uh kids are supposed to be like the best part of like kids are supposed to be everybody is like my kids the best part of it or like everybody knows children are the most pure etc etc whatever and I'm like okay so then why are we like why are we criminalizing (laughs) that keeps making me think of of this moment when I was a tour guide and I did like I would do tours that were most that were like all kids and those were like slightly geared differently they were longer we got to like play games interspersed And then you would have like general audience tours and sometimes there would be kids on that. So I remember one day there was like almost everyone on the tours were tourists like they're for vacation and things like that. It's uh, it's Savannah, Georgia. It's a huge tourism industry. And once I was doing this like 45 minute tour in this old house where you're not allowed to touch anything. And there was one kid who was who was a boy and he was like, I don't want to be at the Girl Scout house. He was like at one point on the ground, like flailing, trying to get his mom to leave. And I just stop and I go, how do you think that makes me feel? That makes me feel really bad. And to the point where it was like, I was very proud of that. And I'm also like, maybe that was a really bad moment. Maybe, like, maybe I like, maybe I was really focused on me in that moment and not that kid who like, I wouldn't want to be. That's totally natural for that age, right? Like, yeah. It's also like, I, I, there's an inherent discomfort with kids because there's an inherent power thing, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter even if we lived in a society that really valued children, like on the whole, you know, it would still be, it's like the truth of this relationship is that now there's something in this room that needs more, that demands and also is is entitled to more yeah. attention, more support, more whatever from not just everyone around me, also me, hypothetically. Yeah. If it was you and a child on a boat that was capsizing, you know, you would feel responsibility. You would. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. You'd be like, oh God, kid, right? That kid should get out of this boat before me. And I think people are really uncomfortable with that sometimes. 
especially people who were parentified that's me I want to I'm look that's the thing I have like (laughs) that's like a one of the things that I'm like I'm looking out for that in the future right I'm also like everybody has the like the boomer sensation inside of them where they're like well I had to pay for my college so why don't you have to pay for yours everybody has it Mm-hmm. And usually when you're mad at a kid for doing something, you should ask yourself, is this just that? Yeah. What are you actually mad about right now? Yeah. What actually happened here, right? Is this the end of the world? Because I would never begrudge a child a little joy just yeah. because my grown ass couldn't work through something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. But, but it's very hard. But even as I'm saying this, I'm not saying this is easy. This is very <laughs> hard to do. I frequently am like, I I worry like, you know, whatever, on one hand, like whatever successes I'm having with my nieces who are so like such a big part of my life, so important to me, like whatever success I have with them, I have to understand that like, that's just because I'm not their primary parent. Like, yeah, they have this innate understanding that my relationship with them is, even though, you know, I am like, I love you unconditionally. Obviously, I would take care of you like a parent if you didn't you know if you needed me to right like that that's no questions asked that's an assumption a baseline assumption for me but like you know I'm not I am not your parent like Mm -hmm. I can't it's a fun role to have because you know you can set some boundaries that like parents can't have and like I can like challenge them a little more and have more of like I think it's like almost in a sense easier to explore conflict with them for for them with Mm me yeah in a sense but I just mean that literally in the sense of like, I'm not your mom. I'm not your dad. Like, mm-hmm. y- like we can just have it out a little, but also I don't, it's not, it's just not as like, uh, I don't, I don't, I never had an aunt or an uncle that I could talk to. So I'm Same. like, I'm not actually sure what that feeling is like, yeah. but I assume it's important. I don't know. Uh, let us know. In the <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like. In the last year or so, I'm becoming close with my mom's cousin, my first cousin, because my aunt and uncle were just they, like geographically, we're not there. Yeah. Emotionally, we're not there. Not there. Yeah. And and that's really exciting and important to have someone who knows your family and can also like say, no, that's silly. That was wrong. I am an adult saying that other adult was wrong. That's, wrong. that's huge. Especially like I think there is so much innate certainty in being a child that you have that you like constantly push out and I think a big thing in this book recurring is to trust yourself and your body and like the trust that I wrote it down trust your body will do all the right things at the time that is right for you that was huge and again going that just like goes back so nice with the like empowering you to have um, autonomy over your your medical business right like trusting that you know what's going on and that your body's got you yeah um, and that it's like you know what's happening in your body you just might not have the language for it you might not have like the the ins and outs you might have questions yeah, so like let's get to the next step where you have that information it's so good I also another quote I liked no one needs a perfect body to have a wonderful life that was yeah. so interesting to me because I was like it's so crazy that she didn't just say all bodies are perfect like your body's mm-hmm. perfect as it is and I actually think that's like really from an accessibility standpoint yeah that's actually really I think that's like actually well done because I guess the thing is like I like the idea that no bodies are perfect yeah everybody has you know like like I, I like the idea that there's not even a perfect body you know I don't know like 
the, that your body doesn't determine your life. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so interesting to me because I was like, yeah, to say all bodies are perfect could be, is sort of like a corporate, like, yeah, that's sort of like the corporate response to like, oh, we need to edit this statement. What, like, <laughs> right. Whatever. What do we say? And I think acknowledging that, like, no, like you, like, yeah, to be fair, you might have a real problem with your body. Yeah. Some people's bodies actively work against them, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's just real. Like, I imagine that for some people, it might get very, very patronizing to constantly be told your body is perfect. Mm-hmm. When probably a large part of your life is spent being like, well, no, because yeah. I have to deal with this. Yeah, I think that's such a big thing. I'm like, well, I like, my body clearly is not perfect. I have a mental illness that makes yeah. everything hard. <laughs> like, yes. this yeah, is I clearly like not perfectly designed. Literally, my brain voices convinced me I couldn't leave my apartment for like six months. I don't mm-hmm. think it's like, <laughs> I'm not like, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. And then I- like, it's okay to like, try to make that better. You know, <laughs> I just I think it's like, I hate it when adults when you're a kid when adults tell you something that is just a platitude that is just that or even if it is true if it sounds untrue I just it's like annoying right like if it sounds trite or my friend Danielle and I were talking about this in regards to like specifically like safe sex education we were like why do they tell you that you can't tell the difference between using a condom and not using a condom why do they not just say it feels better one way, but you have to do the other thing. Yeah. Otherwise, bad things will happen. But yeah. I'm not going to lie to you and say that it feels 100% the same. I don't know if this is appropriate for me <laughs> podcast. I don't care. Go for it. But we were talking about that because I was like, my mom was always really, this is hysterical. This is when I was adult. She was so upfront with me about that. She would just be like, well, I know it feels better, but you have to, you have to wear it on them. And I would be like, what do you mean you know? I don't know. Yeah. I not tried that yet because I was being a good girl. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean you know? And then when I did it, I was like, man, I appreciate that she leveled with me mm-hmm. right now. She wasn't just like... And so I think this book takes a similar approach of yeah. like, it might suck. It might be terrifying. It might be horrifying. But that's just how it is. <laughs> and I, I think you talking about platitudes, I think it's like painting with such a broad brush that feels inaccurate it's like I my body is specific my experiences are specific even if like everyone goes through this so like you saying like all bodies are perfect or like oh everyone goes through it that feels untrue because yeah and this is something they say is like puberty is so isolating it is so lonely it like so you have to you have to come into that of like you are an individual going through this and I think like I wish that sex education and like was even more specific because growing up and like starting to have sex in college, understanding my body more, it's like there was so much about my body that I didn't understand about like, like the number of times, the number of times I have had a doctor say, you know what, I'm going to get the pediatric speculum out. Like (laughs) the number of times and like, and nobody talks about that. And nobody talks about like, if you're having like, something I wish, and you were talking about like Unitarian, um, universal Unitarian education. It's like, I wish in, in the sex education, there was an, a degree of like, if sex is painful, here's some ways that we can maybe fix that. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. I think that was such a thing of like being in college. I had this relationship that didn't work out. And I just felt like I need to figure out sex before I graduate. I need to just understand it. 
And, and I think there were so many, like, that I kept getting this sensation of, like, my body and my mind are not working together. And I feel really betrayed by my body yeah. that it's not doing X, Y, and Z or that I can't or that it happens this way or this feels that way. And I think, like, that, <laughs> that's in, like, when you're an adult and obviously, like, maybe beyond the scope of this book. But one thing I really did like it is that she's talking about tampons and she says slim tampons are, quote, for beginners and girls with smaller bodies. And I was like, fuck, I needed to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I too genuinely, I think about how stressful the rest of my life seemed like it was going to be based on what I knew about like sexual maturity. And like, yeah. I was so anxious all the time. And I was like, I need to figure this out. Like, I need to figure it out. Yeah. And I think that urge is exactly sort of like this book, I think, politely satiated that yeah. that anxiety. Yeah. The best of its abilities without totally enabling the the fixation, right? Like the compulsive need to then do something about it. Like yeah. just having the knowledge was really, was really, really helpful. And also I, I, well, I was just thinking about how this probably shaped it. This just genuinely deeply probably shaped an entire generation of young women. Like, yeah, I think so. And I think that was something that like, I, I wish I had because I didn't have this book is that like, I think there was, you know, the book I had focused on menstruation. And there is so much more to that. You know, I like that it talked about washing your hair and how often you need to do that. I like there. there's a section about sunscreen, which I did not start using sunscreen consistently until I finished college. Uh -huh. And really, I didn't start consistently using sunscreen until my boyfriend went to the dermatologist. And his dermatologist was like, bro, you really need to use sunscreen. And so we started doing it together. And I loved, and this is like a theater kid thing, but they throughout have like, here's an easy way to remember this or that. And the sunscreen thing is slip, slap, slop. Slip, <laughs> slap, slop. That sounds like... Yeah. It sounds like the same thing that your hyper online gay friend starts saying. Do you know? Yeah, it does. I also loved that like, th this is more an interpretation. This is more for me and the comforting thing that adults don't always know what they're talking about in the hair section they say quote like about a school nurse or a doctor quote they always know a louse when they see one talking about lice i was sent home in fourth grade for having lice i did not have lice i had dandruff oh my god and the school nurse did not know the difference <laughs> i had to tell a girl she had lice in high school oh my god in high it's school like, yeah it was like my freshman year she was sitting down on a chair and I was standing and I looked on her head and there was a bug and before I could think further I went oh god there's a bug in your hair because I figured it was just one bug yeah as I was saying that I was realizing there were a lot more other bugs in there and I was like "Ooh, what do I say now and also I thought that I, I was dumb I was uneducated I thought that lice were white so I was like well that's not white but there are bugs in there. And I just didn't know what to do. And she was like, can you get the bug out of my hair? And so I pretended that there was just one bug and I threw it out. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, it feels really, I was like, she'll probably figure out. She probably even knows. Maybe she knows. And she, right. she's right. So I like didn't say anything about it. And then the next day at lunch, we were all packed in and everyone was like, hey, like bumping heads and stuff. Yeah right behind her and grabbed her ponytail and was like playing with her hair and I was like I can't do it I can't do it yeah. and so I was like 
come here, come here, come here. We went down to the end of the table. She was like, are you sure? How can you tell? And I was like, well, I can see one crawling down the baby hair on the side of your face right now as we speak. And I just think that you should know. And she was like, thank you so much. Yeah, that was a really good way to do that. Good job. I was like, (laughs) I was so... And then, and now in my head, I have this, like, like the thing, my yellow wallpaper is going to be like, there's lice, there's bugs. You know, it's bad when you start to empathize with the girls who are like, am I seeing bugs? Yeah. Well, that's the feminine experience. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so true. I was looking through pictures uh, on my phone the other day, and there was a picture from senior year high school from human geography class where there's like four of my friends who are all girls in a row and they had just be we teenagers are so silly they're so silly <laughs> and four girls straight across who had all braided their hair their together hair. <laughs> so that they were all like on chromebooks trying to do something all attached to each other <laughs> and i remember just being like, someone else's hair is such a yeah. thing and I, there were so many high school experiences where I was like, nah, guys, I'm not doing that, but I will take a picture of it. That was my job in high school. I so- loved that the book tells you how to shave, which was really helpful because I was, I was so freaked out by razors and I still am. So that when I started getting armpit hair, I had tweezers because I had to start plucking my eyebrows. I started plucking my eyebrows in fourth grade because it was picture day. I was at the bus stop. I turned to a girl who was one year older than me and I said, hey, do I look good? And she goes, yeah, except for your unibrow. What is it with kids in the unibrow? Leave <laughs> the unibrow alone. So I was like, okay, true. So I, like, by the time I had armpit hair, I had a trusty tweezer. So I was plucking my armpit hair. You are so brave. You are God's bravest warrior. Oh my God. What's hilarious though, is that that girl's mom became my piano teacher in 11th and 12th grade. And I would still die for her mom. Her mom is such a, such a sweetie. I loved her. I took piano for like nine years before that and was working through the same like set of books and then I started taking classes with her and she was like what do you want to do what do you want to you want to play blues you want to play Elvis let's do it girl let's do it (laughs) those are the best kinds of music teachers when they let you play what you want yeah fun I I remember I I remember bringing in a book of high school musical sheet music to my other piano teacher and she'd be like let's do Claire de Lune (laughs) (laughs) I have this friend who is like (laughs) I have this friend who she she as an adult she she's getting her uh, master's at Yale right now in playwriting. Ooh. She started taking bass lessons. And she was like, "I like my bass teacher because like he like teases me when I'm doing bad. Like he'll be like, ah, oh, okay, so what should we do today? Like Megan Trainer, Taylor Swift, or something?" And she's like, "Please, can you just <laughs> just like be a little mean to her?" But I don't think he thinks he's being mean, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's also, like, little things people say about your body when you're younger stick with you so much. Like, my piano teacher, the one I had for so long, would always rag on me when my fingernails were a little long. My God, yes! Or, like, once there, um... There was this guy in high school who one day he being like, he said about this girl that we all thought was like lame and we all hated. He was like, she has the kind of hair where like her hair is so long that she's getting split ends. So it curls at the bottom. I think about that every single day of my life. I I haven't talked to this kid since 2015. I think about it every single day of my life. I didn't know about that. How specific was that? What the 
I am an adult woman and I don't think I could identify a split end in the wild or I just never cared to like I'm sure if you certainly not at a distance not across a classroom and and I have no such intimate knowledge of like like obviously I'm also sure that I have split ends right but like I'm not looking that at them enough to be like split ends make your hair curl at the bottom that's be like you're telling on yourself my dad but like I know is that even tr- like I don't even know if it's true that I think about it can you reply <laughs> cite your us? sources the attention to detail it's a little suspicious and he I, but I remember he started the young democrats club and that was very wow. very divisive and yet I really respect it um, I respect it it's hard I it's, really do in these little towns you know mm-hmm. it's hard to, uh it's hard it's hard to deviate even a little bit so yeah especially like where we grew up was fairly liberal because you're like in the outskirts of dc but yeah yeah, that little high school in in truly rural maryland where we had a day every spirit week that was wear your camouflage day to school yeah bring your tractor to school day yeah people were asking each other to prom with goats yeah. yeah, I mean it's a it's a crazy little place, Louisville, Maryland. <laughs> Anyways, anyway, next thing on my list is changing your underwear every day. A thing I did not know um, until I was in fifth grade, and my dad was doing laundry, and he was like, "Aaron, how often are you changing your underwear?" And I was like, "I don't know, every couple of days." And he's like, "You need to change it every single day." And I was like, "Great, no one told me." My parent, who's telling, who's shaming me for this, you did not tell me. You didn't tell me. And also, I guess the thing is, before puberty, you don't understand the point. Because nothing's happening. Exactly. It's like, truly, unless you get, like, especially because you, like, don't really sweat before puberty. So it's not like you're, like... The dirtiness that you are getting when you are a child is, like, actual dirt. Dirtiness not like secreted from of your own body dirtiness yeah once things start <laughs> coming out of your holes it's out like, of your holes i i guess they also like what i will say i wish that there was more extensive understanding of discharge i wish there was mm-hmm. more discharge education period on the whole yeah there's a you know, little bit in this book but not much i look googling mm-hmm. is this normal i wish there was an app and maybe there is but you can take a picture of your discharge and say like hey what's up you know that's that a good app. perfect that would be incredible <laughs> can someone tell me what's going on my friend told me um she has like a fun body rule which is like if it happens once it's probably a one-off if it happens recurring and it's interfering with your life you need to do something about it and so i have this and maybe it's too lenient. Maybe it's an actually terrible no, policy. I feel like... But I really do. I'm like, it, it soothes my hypochondria brain. Because I'm like, it does. Oh, yeah. And once. But a time when I did ignore that rule. Basically, I was having this problem where I would get my period very frequently, usually. And it would always happen. Like it would like it, it would really frequently get triggered because of like having sex mm-hmm. and I was like what is going on I this happens every single time and it, it's not like surface tear like it's not like yeah it's not like post sex bleeding oh it's like well sorry it's not like there's like real like I don't it wasn't like inter like it wasn't um it was very clearly like a period like not oh, just yeah. like blood right like lining yeah yeah like stuff coming out of my 
tummy area right like the womb I don't know and so I was like what is going on why is this happening but I just didn't tell any like not I did not tell a single doctor about it until now and this has been happening to me since college since like basically like late high school and I just never told anyone because I was like so I was like I can't even fathom how to begin telling my doctor this yeah also how to convince them that I'm not just insane a little bit because I was like well what what would I even like I think the Kegels that I do when I have sex, like involuntarily, mm-hmm. like that movement, that contraction of muscle involuntarily starts my period oh. because it's the same squeezing motion. Like I was like, that's an insane thing to say to someone who has a medical degree when I have none. And I'm just saying words based on like a feeling that I have about my body. And, and then yet, I'm like, you shouldn't feel that way. Like yes, you exactly. should feel, yeah. And I told a doctor about it and she was like, no, that's exactly what's happening. And I was like, what? And she was like, that just happens. Like, this is like actually like a real thing. And it's like bleeding, like hemorrhaging caused by like the trauma of sex. Like that's like a real medical term, trauma of sex. And it like happens every single time. And no one tells you that. To varying degrees. And part of yours is that like you just, your Kegels are so intense, apparently. Like your pelvic floor contraction is so intense that you start your period sometimes. And I was like, maybe being a doctor is easy. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, like, I've seen gynecologists and I've been like, hey, sex is painful. And they're like, well, do you use lube? Get out of here. <laughs> it's lube. Get out of here. And no, like, I didn't try that. Maybe that is the answer. But can we spend, like, five more minutes talking about another possible answer? <laughs> but it's like, it's just that thing of, like, nobody gives a shit if it's good or bad for certain people. Yeah. And it's like, mm-hmm. well... And that teaches you that, like, it truly doesn't matter. Like, it huh. if other people think, like, it doesn't matter if it's good enough for you, like, if you, especially if your doctor tells you that, and if there's a lack of information, then you're like, well, maybe actually it doesn't matter if I'm having fun. Just, okay, but imagine that that was someone who was like, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't, I literally just didn't know about lube. And you responded in that way. Wouldn't mm. that make that person feel so shitty? Like, they would never want to tell you anything ever again. Exactly. Like, just like even if that even if it was like quote unquote a waste of time which like sorry you're getting billed the same anyways Mm -hmm. and also like I don't know just do your job I don't know exactly to do your job it's also just like the idea that like that doctors are always exasperated at you for not knowing what they know which is like you went to school The point is that you suffered through a residency and thousands of dollars in student debt, not me. (laughs) That's why I'm here. That's why you chose this job. Personally, I do not envy your lack of work-life balance, which is why I am not in your position. Mm -hmm. It's not because I could not have. (laughs) I cannot fathom being upset at someone for not knowing you know. What's wild on that, my freshman year of college, I had a roommate who was a, I was 17 and she was a 21 year old Brazilian woman and her father was a gynecologist and we had to explain to her me the little 17 year old and my 18 year old third roommate who was from like small town Georgia who was like very sheltered called her parents for every single decision she had to make had to explain to this girl this daughter of a gynecologist that there are three holes that you can still pee while wearing a tampon and I also had to explain to her you can't flush that stuff because I had to fish out a a pad wrapper from a toilet and this girl put me through so much stuff that was one of the moments where I was like god yeah. 21 21 and she so, and the rapper is mm-hmm. do you think sorry this is such no a, a lot of other countries you're not ever you're not flushing anything except for like 
what comes out of your body right like you're not supposed yeah. to flush toilet paper or whatever do you think that then because when they come here you can't flush toilet paper then they just assume that everything else must be flushable maybe yeah maybe i don't know that's sorry that was a, a weird i was just somewhere i was just in mexico and you couldn't flush any toilet paper and i kept forgetting and then feeling terribly guilty and i i was just thinking I just don't know who I, I I don't know what would possess you to be like I could flush this plastic down why not plastic yeah I mean yeah it's wild she was 21 21 she yes. did so much stuff like truly I have a thousand stories about her and she I went to a dry college which it was only dry because it was in Savannah Georgia which is a drinking town which like if you're above the park you can have an open container any hour of the day people were drunk everywhere and so it was like we probably couldn't get accreditation if we <laughs> weren't a dry campus and so she was causing so much stress in my life it was like the final weeks of school I was on the phone crying to my mom being like she's drunk all the time she's ruining my life and she was like she was 21 so I was getting alcohol off her of course I was but I wasn't telling my parents that and so my mom was like well give me her student ID number uh if it's if she's drinking on a dry campus I'll I'll tell on her I was like mom if she gets kicked out of school she'll get deported Deported. and my mom was like don't worry deportation takes a long time (laughs) my mom is a crazy person that's so that's something my mom yeah (laughs) the body episode i love that (laughs) one of my only criticisms of the care and keeping of you is i wish the emotions section was longer yeah Yeah. i remember writing down i wrote down she had this great little quote where she was like anger can be helpful when it leads to change yeah I wrote down the sentence either right before or right after that, which is part of growing up is learning how to express anger and frustration calmly in a way that is fair to others. Blew my mind. Yeah, I I was like the healthy expression of, and again, I guess this like ties in so well, right? Like I love it. Again, she's taking everything in stride. She's saying Mm -hmm. it is, you know, it is not just about the good things. We have to learn to appropriately live and deal with the bad things, right? And I in that day and age to tell a young woman like your anger is not just something that you need to pack away completely your anger is not something that is bad or negative about you like I think that's so important for everyone to hear but especially yeah. for women and um, or for people who are socialized as girls or whatever right like and also again like it that is that is just that's you know one of the foundational tenets of like a lot of liberatory ideology and a lot of like you know restorative justice is like I actually I I literally wrote go off Audre Lorde because (laughs) you know there's that she has that famous um essay where she talks about the ways that rage can be productive and Mm -hmm. and the difference between rage and hatred and I that is one of the biggest personal struggles of like how do you if you have not been taught how to deal with your emotions well how do you teach somebody else to? How do you even begin, right? Like, I only know as much as I know. I can only do as as much as I have the understa- capacity to understand, right? Um, and, you know, like, how it's so, it's so easy to give in to the feeling of, like, oh, my child is doing, or a child, this child mm-hmm. is doing something that's inconvenient to me or makes me nervous or makes me feel bad. They they are totally within their right to feel whatever they're feeling right like they're totally within their right to express whatever feeling they're feeling or if or if they're doing something that's dangerous but it makes them happy and they're not scared right like the the difference of like 
taking the time to step in to think wait 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 a minute like is this actually dangerous or bad for the kid or am I just reacting in a way right like that's really hard to do and it's just a good reminder for me honestly it's my biggest thing about this book is I was like this hit so much for me Mm -hmm. right now there's so many things in there right now that when I read that book when I was a kid I was like I have no concept of this I have no understanding like eating disorders I had no at the time I was literally like because I was like not broke not to be like because I wasn't broken yet it actually that's what it is what made me realize that when I read this book, I was not broken. And at some point I became broken. And I now need all of the things that the book is telling me about. But before I read it, or when I was reading it, before I went through all of it, I was like, I can't imagine needing this. A, a little, in a sense. like yeah. And the eating disorder stuff was really what threw me. Because at the time, I was so like, even though intellectually, I, I even knew it was about like, you know, my fr- I had plenty of friends with eating disorders. And like, you know, I was on Tumblr and like mental health was like important to me. Right. And like, I knew intellectually, like from the research that I had done, from what I had learned, like, oh, it's about control. And it's about this, like, I could like spew whatever, like the DSM five facts at you. But I never I couldn't place the feeling inside because right. I had not experienced yet. Oh, like that, like, oh, I yeah, I, I hadn't been able to put it together. And now as an adult, like I have an ongoing weird, bad relationship with food and with eating and like also just like with whatever pathology is worming its way around my brain, like the sort of like intrusive anxieties that like, you know, yeah. I can't always disentangle from my experience of reality. And like, it really just struck me as I was reading this, just how fully formed I was at that age. And it just, I, I wished I could go back and give my young self a little kiss on the forehead. Mm-hmm. Keep it up. Yeah. You'll be okay. Th- this was a thought I had maybe a couple of months ago, but I think puberty, and, and this is reductive, but I think puberty and, and adolescence for boys is a lot about expanding and all the things you can be. And I think for girls, at least the way you're socialized is a lot about collapsing yeah. yourself and a lot about about tucking things away to not inconvenience yeah. others. Yeah. Yeah. Like even uh, so much of puberty becomes about what you can't do anymore. Yeah. Right. I can't run around shirtless. I can't play like I can't rough house with the boys. Right. Like I used to. I can't go to pool parties without being a little afraid. I can't wear a le- like all of this stuff where it's like suddenly. Yeah. Suddenly there is so there's so many precipitating factors like determining where or how my body is yeah it's just which is then when people are trying to sell it to you as a beautiful thing it's like but it's limiting me in so many ways it doesn't feel right. not, like not only does it feel gory it feels really restrictive yeah and I'm have to admit like I was a kid who was really like fixated on growing up I really wanted to grow up my my brother's 11 years older than me my parents are of course then older for to have a child my age they're like old and I I just I always got along better with older kids with older people I was a bit of a weird kid and I was so excited to go through puberty and to grow up and I was like this isn't gonna I was like full of optimism that it wasn't going to be terrible for me but in fact it was going to be perfect and beautiful and resplendent and I was still like this is a little horrifying (laughs) I don't think I'm ready for this I don't think I want it's not necessarily fair to me that my whole life has to change, even like if it is a change that I think I want, 
it's just not it's still not fair right like it's probably one of the first times in your life where you're really truly aware that like everything is actually a little bit completely out of your control right I think up to a certain point you're like well I I have a reasonable control over my life and I think at that point you're like this is the beginning of yeah (laughs) beginning of the conscious surrendering I think yeah conscious surrendering and I, I think that's like it it makes sense then that eating disorders pop up at that age when you are consciously losing so much control of your body yes your body is so radically changing yeah you have some way to be in control and I will say I appreciate I think this book is a way to sort of like microdose control in a sense right like it does soothe your anxieties because at least if there is a problem you are are insistent a a quote-unquote problem you are insistent on fixing at least you have a path forward yeah. healthy. And like they say at the very beginning, like information will make things less surprising. And oh, thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you. And I think the thing is, like, I don't believe in, well, like, I think everybody is always like, oh, peer pressure, bad, peer pressure, bad. And like, we should all try not to be susceptible to peer pressure. Everybody should be just thinking their own thoughts. I'm, I hate to break it to you, my dude. That is simply not how the human experience works. Yeah. Even if you think you're not being influenced by someone, you're being influenced by something. Mm-hmm. And if, if you are making a choice to go against something or to subvert something or whatever, you are still being influenced by something, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't escape it. You're not going to escape. Like, yeah, you're just, you're not going to escape the parts of puberty where you're like, I want to change this thing about my body. I want to try this. I want to try that. It's going to happen. You might as well explore it in a healthier way, right? Like that's the whole point. I think like, and I also think maybe people wouldn't be needing to do really extreme things like exert extreme control over their bodies in in detrimental. We allowed kids more autonomous control over things that didn't matter so much, right? Like painting their nails or hair or piercings, like stuff like that, makeup, right? clothing Mm. fashion where it's like if there is another more I think I don't want to say healthy but like if there is like a less destructive way to have control over your body I think that's something that's really exciting at that age yeah and I maybe I said this earlier but you were talking about like negative reviews of the book and saying like it focuses too much on comparing yourself to others well first off it's like saying don't compare yourself to others and second like the athlete's natural. You are going to be doing natural. that anyway. I don't know a single person who doesn't. And like, exactly. it's not the idea that you have to like never acknowledge that it happens and therefore you will create a world in which it doesn't happen. It's the like reaction, the the like, we need to ban all the bad things reaction. Right. That's not really practical. And in many ways, it will probably just make your kid want to do the bad thing more. Absolutely. <laughs> because you never taught them about what it is and why it's bad, right? And, like you have to, I think I laugh at the idea that like, if you just don't acknowledge that comparing your body to other people happens, then nobody will compare their body. Exactly. Or if you say, don't compare your body to other people's, it won't happen. Like, of course, like, and I think she's just so honest about it, right? She's like, yeah, you're probably going to feel like major garbage mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And also like, because she also talks about Hollywood, right? Media yeah, and that kind of thing, which I think is so pertinent, especially like, it's also funny. You can tell this is sort of uh, written pre- like plastic surgery craze yes like yeah. back in the days when it, even if you did have a plastic surgery you were probably pretty private about it 
Uh, yeah, or that it didn't happen. Yeah, that was something I yeah. remember so much of like Ashley Tisdale got her nose job. And like if anyone got a nose job, it had to be for like, well, I need to breathe better. Yeah, it a deviated to be <laughs> Exactly. There had to be like a medical excuse for it. Yeah. It couldn't just be because you wanted it. Absolutely. It was interesting that they didn't talk about plastic surgery at all. Because I think it's even, it's much more insidious now, right? Yeah. Like now lots of people are, even though like people are more open to plastic surgery on the whole, I think it's so much more widespread and subtle Yeah, that it can be really, I don't know. I think like back then everyone, everyone was like, oh, it's just Photoshop. It's just Photoshop. And now they just mm-hmm. look like that. And now they just wake up and they look like that. And you're like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Um, my last little thing is I was thinking this is like, this is a great, what a like good resource to have, not just, I mean, I think it is like widely applicable. It's like a pretty universal, you know, like it it would be really helpful in a number of circumstances, right? Like, but I was particularly thinking in the situation of like immigrant parents or maybe like guardians who you don't have like super reliable access to or you know, if you're like in the system or if you, or even if you just like have parents who will not talk to you about it, right? Like, or who can't, or even if you do and you yeah. just are too embarrassed, which is so fine to not want to do that, right? And like, yeah. or if your parents tell you something and you're like, I just want a second opinion. I just want yeah. to know. I want to know the facts for myself, right? Like, I think it's so, it's just, it's never a bad thing to have more knowledge, uh, more access to knowledge. And I, I remember as I was reading it, all of the language in it is so broad. Like it's, it's similar to how now, like you would say, like, like when I talk to kids and like, oh God, the other day I was like, over the summer I went to the zoo and a kid ran off from his father and I was with my friends and I was like, this is so embarrassing. Please don't make fun of me. You're going to clown me for this. But like, I like went up to the kid and I was like, Hey buddy, I think we should wait for a grown up, Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the, now I think like this is becoming a more modern language thing where like people are using grown up or like your guardian or whatever, like whoever, mm-hmm. who did you come here with? Right. right. I noticed that she was doing this in the book, not just to the effect of like, oh, you might not have parents, but like, you might just not feel comfortable. Right. Like, so she was like, when you go bra shopping, like if you really think you're ready for a bra, like talk to your mom or your sister or another trusted adult. Right. Yeah. And I was like, that's really like, that's great. And certainly that was not the norm for this time period. So the fact that it's included in there, I think is like fantastic. And that is basically it. So how did you on the whole feel? How did the experience feel revisiting this? I know we've we've talked a lot about it, but yeah, a little button. Okay. The funny thing about this is that when I read this book, I read it in public on my laptop in a coffee shop in which I knew the barista could see my screen because the day before I had gone there to work and he asked me about the work that I was doing for like my real job because he could see it on my screen because anyway so I knew that he was watching me and that was very uh, uncomfortable anyway <laughs> that that just was funny that aside I said this before but I just really it was so nice to have the perspective I again I felt like it was almost even more emotionally salient to me now than it was then or just it was good to bookend it right like it was good to revisit it because I had one idea of what it meant to me back then and it was an idea that was so full of hope and optimism and joy and and like it makes me love my past self even more because I'm like oh you're so I love the energy with which you approach the world with all of the this joy and hope and and then I think it just gave me a really good avenue back to my child self I don't know I had I had a really good time and 
I reminded myself of really important hygiene tips. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to just check, you know, sometimes make sure yeah. that I'm passing right. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, it was special. It was special to think about, you know, I have two nieces and hopefully one day, you know, they'll get to read this book too or, or whatever version of it now exists and just felt very full circle. And I think we've answered this many times over. I know my answer. Would you consider it required reading? Duh. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Even if you are not a person who this information will ever apply to, just for the pure and anthropological, sociocultural sense from from for the pursuit of knowledge this is like this is a a foundational text to understanding a specific generation of people who are raised as women in america like you like you yeah you have to do it you have to do it in order to get it and and you gotta get it (laughs) exactly exactly oh Oh my gosh this was such a treat and thank you for like filling filling this gap in my historical knowledge (laughs) <laughs> so much is there anything you want to plug as we round out where people can find you if you want to be found oh um if you want to find me i am on instagram at mandy m-a-n-d-i-w-h-y mandy y okay. so that people can't find so that people can't find me but i guess they can now <laughs> i love it All right, thank you so much it was so good to talk to you <laughs> thank you so much I hope you have a really wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much to Amanda. This is this is one of my favorite episodes, guys. This is an amazing episode. And next week, we have The Golden Compass by Sir Philip Pullman. What a treat to reread that book. It's actually the third time. <laughs> I've ever read that book, which was a delight. And just like, just one of the best books ever. The end. I'll see you then. Bye.